Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, hey guys, it's Haley. Welcome back to Kindled. I am so happy to be here with you. I have to say right off the bat, I apologize for my voice. Um, It is extremely low and a little scratchy because I have some allergies and sinus stuff going on. Typical summer cold, but I am so excited to be back with you guys. So it's been a couple months since you've heard from me on the podcast. I've taken June and July off from publishing regular episodes, which has just been really good for me to step away from kind of feeding the beast of the podcast every week and taking time to figure out and kind of pray over what the next season would look like. So now that I have had time to think and pray and discern what that is, I'm really excited and pumped and just energized to actually be coming back. I think that breaks are really essential and it's not my favorite thing to do. At first, I really didn't want to take a break, but the more I breaked, the more I, the more time I took off, the more I was like, oh, I think I'm not done yet. And I kept, you know, wanting to, wanting to have more time and more time. So I think it's like you just need to remind yourself of what it actually feels like to rest, which, you know, God knew that we needed that and he built it into our week with the Sabbath. So he knows what we need and he provides that to us, but we do have to be obedient in actually taking the breaks. So anyways, moving on from that, before I get into today's actual episode, I just wanted to give you a little bit of an overview of what this season is going to look like. So... What we're going to be doing is for the next five weeks, having a mini series on family and topics related to family, sex, motherhood, parenting, special needs, and faithfulness. So after this mini series, we will launch into a larger series called Christianity and Culture. And that is going to actually carry us through the end of the year. We're going to be talking about Christianity and Culture for the rest of the year after this series. And I mean, we could really only talk about that forever. It's a huge area, obviously. But basically what that means is that it's a little different than how things have been in the past. In the past, I have had an episode every single week and it's been an interview, typically. And it's just been on either a topic or that person's story or life. But week to week, the interviews didn't necessarily have any connection or there was no relationship between them. I did do a mini series on education, which I really enjoyed producing and and researching for and, and having those interviews. And that kind of showed me that I actually really wanted to dive deeper into a subject area versus having like an episodic kind of week to week show where each episode was just an hour and it was all contained within itself and it had no relation to anything else that I was doing. A lot of you may know that I am a journalism grad and I telling stories and 
narrative and digging deep. I mean, I, I really was a reporter on the paper. Like, I enjoy that. I actually want to go deeper into a topic and a subject area than I could really do in one hour. And so this is great for me. A new model really of what I'm going to be doing going forward is having series like this one. They may be long, they may be short. It's just going to depend on the the subject matter and what I decide to do with it. But that is kind of going to be the model going forward is we will have a, a theme and an entire, you know, an entire theme like Christianity and culture. And the episodes in that series will all be related to that theme. So within that, we're going to talk about everything from God and man to sin and brokenness, apologetics, politics, parenting, family, sexuality and gender, fear and courage. And there may be a few more I throw in there. I'm kind of leaving it a little bit open-handed because I'm actually still recording those episodes. I have about half of them done. But like I said, after the family series, that's going to begin. And what we're doing in that series is actually comparing and contrasting a biblical Christian worldview with a secular worldview on each of those topics. So how does Christianity in the Bible see God and man? How does Christianity in the Bible see sin and brokenness as compared to the world and just a secular worldview? So that is the plan for the rest of the year, just so you know. And so you kind of understand contextually what is happening week to week. I think this is really going to be a great shift, not only because I think it will allow the content of the show to be higher quality, because we'll actually be covering something in depth versus scratching the surface of an issue in, you know, 45 or 60 minutes, but also because this is just what I am passionate about. This allows me to actually utilize and and employ the gifts and talents and interests that God has given me specifically and talk about those with a guest, sometimes on a solo episode, I forgot to mention that, that I will be doing intermixed throughout these episodes on those topics. I will be doing solo episodes as well. That was one thing I heard last year from people on the survey that people really wanted more solo episodes. And so you guys told me that, I listened to you, and I am going to be mixing in a solo episode. Probably it'll, I'm not sure the rhythm exactly. It might go the topic and then solo, topic, then solo. We'll see how that breaks out. But that's my plan is to do basically half of this season will be interviews and half will be solo episodes where it will be a little bit more of an application to a real world topic or or situation or event or cultural thing that's going on. So for example, I might do a solo episode on cancel culture or on whatever, something that is going on in the news, possibly. So a little bit more just of an application of what we're talking about as we are going through the Christianity and culture episodes with guests. So I know that that is a lot, but I hope you're excited about that and that it makes sense. And I really do believe it's going to produce just a better show and keep me engaged and energized in the content that I am working to produce. Because I know you guys have heard me talk about this, but Obviously, running a podcast is a lot of work. It takes a ton of time. You know, most of the work is not doing the interviews. It is the planning, the preparation. Yes, recording the interviews, but then the post-production, promoting it, putting it online, talking about it. I mean, it just is a lot. And so it does take up quite a few hours of, you know, your day and your week when you're doing that. And if, if the content isn't something that you personally 
care about or have a burden to speak about, I think it's very easy to lose your drive and and lose your momentum or even your desire to keep doing it. That's kind of what happened to me last spring. And I think one of the reasons is that I hesitated to talk about some of the things that I actually wanted to out of fear of man, to be honest. I, you know, stepping into these spaces, especially in a series like Christianity and Culture, requires me to take a stance on a lot of issues. Now, I am going to do my best not to just preach at you from, you know, Haley's personal opinion box. Like, that's not what I am hoping to do by any means. But when it comes to a topic like politics, for instance, and handling that in a balanced scriptural way, it requires me to both have my stance, but also go beyond and go deeper than just my own stance. And so it requires me to put aside, in a sense, like my own flesh and what I would say I want to talk about or what I believe or what I think is right and look at what the Bible says and what is what does God tell us is true about that thing. And so you can see why it's a little intimidating to, you know, to get into these topics when you've had a show like mine that has put the burden of content direction almost on the guest to then switch gears and say, no, I'm going to drive the content and where it goes. And I'm going to bring people in to talk about those things. And that's been my heart, I think, from the beginning. But I just kind of quickly let... I let the ease of, you know, having other people come on and do interviews or talk about their books become sort of the rhythm of the show rather than asking God, what do you want me to say? And what do you want to do through me, even in in the submission of talking about something that I have to submit my own opinions to the truth under and not just have an opinion show, but, you know, one that really even challenges me. And so, yeah, so having, having a stance on these issues is one thing, but then submitting your stance to, and your, your own perspective to the word of God is another. And that is what I'm going to be doing in the Christianity and and culture series. I mean, to the best of my ability, I'm sure that it will not be perfect. I'm sure that I will fail, but I will limp along all the way. And there was an awesome John Piper quote, actually, um, shared on Instagram today that, he said, few things paralyze good people more than their own imperfections. If you wait till all your shortcomings are remedied, your dreams will die. All our advances are with a limp. And I just love that picture of limping along towards glory. That's what we're all doing. I mean, no steps we're taking are perfect. And as we're running our race, we are tripping all the time. But thanks to God, he is the one who keeps us going and keeps us moving towards the finish line. And it is not our perfect running that makes us right, but Jesus's blood on our account, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And so that courage, that confidence from that place, I can actually move forward, talk about hard things, have hard conversations, recognize my own reliance on self, my own dependence on anything other than God sometimes and submit that to him and also encourage you to do the same. So that is where we're headed this fall. And I'm really, really, truly excited about it. Even though all summer I've been talking and kind of engaging a lot on Instagram, someone said it doesn't seem like you've really taken a break, which I can see for sure. But I think what it has done, the break has really allowed me to get clarity 
and also just be convicted of the fact that perhaps I was avoiding hard conversations because it might bring hard realities or hard outcomes for me of, you know, being judged by man or not doing it perfectly or as good as I think I should be able to. And God is just empowering me to not necessarily not be afraid, but to have courage and actually move forward in spite of those fears and in spite of that reality, just to give me the the confidence that he will guide me. And if it's the work that he's calling me to do, he will empower me to do it with his help. So that is where we're going. And I'm really excited to be back with you guys today. This episode is one that I think you're going to love and it's going to kick off our family series. So anyways, thank you guys for listening. I'm so happy to be back and yeah, let's get going. Here is my conversation with Francie Winslow. Francie, welcome to Kindled. Thank you. It's so nice to be with you. So I would love for you to introduce yourself to the listeners before we get started and tell us who you are and what you do. Absolutely. So um, I am a mom of six and my oldest is 11 and my youngest is one. So that means we've been super busy for the past 12 years. Five of them are biological and one of them is from the special gift of adoption. And so we've kind of got a lot going on under one roof and I do happen to homeschool and it's been challenging and rewarding. So I spend most of my time investing in Side the four walls of my home doing that, discipling the hearts of my kids and find a ton of significance and meaning and challenge all wrapped up into that. And I've been married to my husband, Wyatt, for coming up on 15 years. And when I'm not homeschooling and being with the kids and doing all that fun stuff, I do love to take the opportunity to speak and write when there is margin. So that's kind of what I'm up to. Wow. I'm amazed that you have margin to do anything (laughs) besides what you just described. So as far as your work goes, then what, you know, I, I first heard you on a podcast on the don't mom alone podcast, um, speaking about the power of sex and marriage. What does your work around that look like? You said you write and speak. What does that actually look like for you? Well, it actually looks like first living it out in my own life. That is the number one priority is that I am living the stuff that I'm sharing out loud. And so Mm -hmm. it looks a lot like investing in my marriage and prioritizing that and growing that relationship. And I write a lot about heaven in your home and really cultivating a heart for God's presence in our home and in our marriage and in our bedroom, all of it so that it is rightly ordered. And um, my work out of that place is kind of an overflow and has been for the last several years, mostly speaking to groups of moms, including uh, moms through moms organization, women's conferences and events like that. And when I write, I have honestly just been taking advantage of Instagram and Facebook to keep Mm -hmm. my writing skills moving a little bit by little bit. And then kind of writing secretly, kind of on my own, just developing this message and stewarding it as I've had capacity to continue to build and hopefully we'll end up in a book soon. But I'm just kind of in that secret place working and stewarding these things. I have contributed to several books, but it's just kind of a here and there thing. It's not a consistent daily gig. Yeah, that's really cool. So getting into our topic, we're talking about sex in marriage. What is your story with that? And why is this a topic that you speak about? So I never imagined speaking about this topic. In fact, it was like 
Oh, I will never, I think I'm pretty set, pretty much said I will never talk about that in public. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up in the South and it's just not something you talk about. It's embarrassing and it's taboo and it's off limits. And I grew up kind of in the abstinence movement in high school and the youth Mm -hmm. group. And I was so grateful for that influence and leadership that my um, youth pastors and family gave in that season. But it was definitely one of those things you just say, don't do it. And that's about all you hear on it. And I got married pretty young when I was 20. And while I wasn't necessarily like the perfect girl when I got married, I was technically a virgin. So it was kind of like, oh, well, you get a fresh start, have fun, go. And there was no conversation around that. And I think even though I was technically a virgin, I think I carried a ton of shame, mm-hmm. a ton of baggage about my body and being feminine and, and didn't really love my body at all. And I didn't know how to tra- make that transition. It's kind of like you hear, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then all of a sudden you get to do it. And I didn't know how to do it. Much more importantly, I didn't know how to think about doing it. I didn't know how to think about the gift of sex. And that was quite a challenge for me. And so I think it presented itself in our first year of marriage and really became something that I sought God deeply on and thought I was just seeking him for myself and for my own marriage and looking for breakthrough and looking for healing and looking for his heart behind this gift of sex because most of the marriage books seem to like call it a man's need. And then a lot of the church women that I would kind of be exposed to throughout the years displayed it more as like a burden or a duty. And I was just trying to figure out, God, how does this work? There must be more to the story. And so I really started seeking God's heart as a newlywed and that we incorporated God into our sex life. And in addition to inner healing prayer that we were doing, we were going through counsel And also just this idea of God can heal our brokenness because wounded people wound each other and we were wounding each other as newlyweds and and really seeking God to heal our hearts. And in the same breath, it was God make us one because we're, we're just kind of wounding each other. And I know that there's more. And so in that pursuit of unity and connection and healing, God started changing our hearts and our minds and our understanding. And years went by and I started sharing what we were learning with friends. And my husband was like, you need to tell more women about this and what you're learning. And I said, I will never talk about this. I just want to like be a good Bible study girl and love my family. And I would blush every time that would come up. And um, the Lord just kept opening doors. And the more I sought God's heart, the more I was amazed at what I was finding about this gift of sexuality and our bodies and sex and marriage and the profound calling that it all is connected to. And so it kind of just organically grew. Yeah. That's so cool. I think it's so funny that you grew up in the South and we're like, this is literally the last thing I would want to talk about with people. Yeah, totally. My story is quite different than yours before marriage. I actually was not a virgin coming into marriage. I had a long relationship that was did not remain pure and broke off that early, like actually very close to before the time when I actually met my husband. So I don't think I had healed from a lot of mm. the wounds and yeah, just brokenness, like you said, and just like such a messed up view of what our sexuality is, what it's meant for and came into marriage from the, you know, I knew it was off limits. I knew what I was doing was sin, but I also was like, now this just feels like sort of a dirty tainted thing. Mm. And it, it was hard for me to see it as pure or good inside of my marriage. And so, you know, that just gives you a whole nother set of kind of issues that you don't even really know what to do about or how to verbalize. I mean, especially being, I was 22 when we got married. So yeah, just being young and like 
you know, not yeah. really knowing how to even have those conversations or that there was a conversation that we needed to have. Yeah. And I think that no matter where you come from, for any woman listening who comes into marriage from either that end of the spectrum of mm-hmm. like, I came into marriage with no experience and all of a sudden this thing that was off limits now was supposed to be, I was supposed to be enjoying it and that was free. Or I came into marriage with a lot of baggage and Mm -hmm. like sexual relationships from the past that were kind of haunting me or Mm -hmm. felt like I, like you said, was living in a lot of shame around those things. Yeah. And you just feel kind of like you're in that arrested development maybe for, for us, it was probably a couple years of just, you know, not, not that everything was terrible, but I think just not really knowing how to work through that. And there's really not a ton for Christians on that topic, you know? Yeah. And so there is sort of this expectation that you just kind of like transition into the new newness of marriage with no baggage and no issues. And you just suddenly you're supposed to know what to do, you know? Yeah. It definitely feels like the generation ahead of us is just like, okay, you're married. Good luck. And then is silent. And it's like, hang on, how are we supposed to do this by ourselves? Can we have better conversations about it? Can we have a little bit more space to discover God's heart in this? It would be, it would have been nice. Yeah. And like, uh, I mean, specifically, we won't get into this too much, but uh, especially for a lot of the listeners I know who probably came, were growing up in that abstinence, purity ring, you know, kind of culture and vibe. There was this idea, which I think this is for me, why I had some issues and kind of um, wrong thinking about it was because I had kind of been told that if you don't save yourself for marriage, like you're kind of ruined, you know? And so that's just a very low view of yourself to come into marriage with. And then you wonder why you would have self-confidence issues or issues like being seen by your husband or, you know, viewing your body as good or like good for him. Like you wouldn't, it it just doesn't make sense. Where would you get those ideas? You know, because you've kind of been told like, well, this was the standard. You did not meet it. Therefore you are broken and sullied and, you know, kind of used up. And that, and that was like the incentive from some of the, you know, not everyone, but definitely some of the messages that were being put out during that time. And I just think that really probably got into people's heads in a way that it was not helpful. Mm, Yeah. So going from there, what is the problem? Why are we even talking about this? Why is sex hard inside of marriage? And what is kind of the issue? That is such a big question. Like, Why is sex so hard in marriage could be a million things for a million people. You know, we all have such unique journeys. I tend to like to tackle things from kind of the bird's eye view and then get more specific. And the more specific Mm -hmm. you get, I think the more I would say I totally advocate therapy <laughs> because I think we all have journeys and things we've walked through. And I upfront usually say, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor. I'm just a wife seeking God's heart for the fullness of God in my life and in my home, because I believe that that's what Jesus died to give us mm-hmm. was fullness and healing and restoration. And we all know that there's areas of our lives that are not walking in his fullness and whatever it takes to get there, do it therapy, counseling, inner healing ministry, whatever you need to do date night, every night, like it just invest in the work because there is a lot to gain from inviting God into the secret places of our marriage, into these places that have been off limits. And there's a lot to lose by not doing that. 
a lot to lose. And so I think where things went wrong, just to go broad first, is that our sweet parents, (laughs) even though many of them probably were well-meaning and maybe Christian, grew up in the sexual revolution. And so they had no healthy grid for sexuality, no healthy idea of, generally speaking, none of them had a grid for what it looks like to have a healthy sex life. It was promiscuity and freedom that is actually bondage, a lot of you know abortion and regret, and just so many layers upon layers of pain and wound and regret. And I think what happens when you're a parent and you do things you regret, but you don't have healing or language for how to disciple your kids in a different direction, you just put rules around it. Yes. And I think if we grow up with rules around it and we don't have conversation that help us understand those rules and give us the heart behind those boundaries, we're probably going to rebel, you know, or Mm -hmm. stand in shame under those rules and just kind of be legalistic about it or whatever. So I think our sweet parents, not anybody's in particular, but just that generation didn't have a good example. And then their parents were like the opposite of the sexual revolution. Mm -hmm. They were like, you know, buttoned up and, you know, just honor the family name and don't talk anything, you know, don't do anything dishonorable and very conservative. And so that greatest generation, it just kind of goes generationally back. And when you keep following that thread, you see that our root system has some roots still in the Gnostic view, which separates body from spirit. Mm -hmm. And the Gnostic view was heretical. And this is way back a couple hundred years after Jesus's life. So long time ago, but it still has a thread in our theology. If we look closely that we intend in our fear to see the body as bad and spiritual things as good. That's why we're like, cover it up. Or, you know, modesty gets legalistic because of this Gnostic underpinning. Mm -hmm. And when we have this idea of just don't do it and let's not talk about it and it's dirty or You know, some women I've heard have just referred to it with such pain and been like, you know, it's just a husband's need, just do it quickly and get it done. And it's just very disintegrated from the whole person or our whole lives as believers. So Gnosticism disintegrates humanity and our walk with God. And it's not of God. God wants to reintegrate us and put us back together so that our bodies and our spirits are reconnected in a way that we are connecting with the whole story of God because he actually gave us our bodies and called them good. Mm-hmm. And he made sex and called it good. And he made a male and he made a female specifically named and called them very good. And he called yeah. them together and said, the two of you have sex, be one, reproduce from this place of oneness, the mandate, the first great commission given to humanity was not Jesus's commission to go make disciples. The first commission was given to a husband and a wife in the setting of a family in the presence of God. And he said, Hey, husband and wife, be fruitful from this place of oneness, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and take dominion together. So ultimately the good news about sex is that it was God's idea It's called very good. It was existing before shame and sin came into the equation. So it's pre-fall, right? Mm -hmm. We have to remind ourselves that sometimes because I think in our mindset, we think, oh, sin or shame or dirty. And it's directly connected to the call of God on our lives as humans and specifically as married couples to do God's work on the earth. Um, We can get into that later about what that looks like fleshed out. But I think where we went wrong is that we believe the lie that our bodies are bad and we only want to talk about spiritual things and we don't know how to reclaim or redeem or re-see 
our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit, whether we are in bed with our husbands or doing church work on Sunday. All of it is God's and all of it is good. And he wants to inhabit all of it and reclaim all of it and wash us so that we can meet him in all of it and not see what is done behind the bedroom doors as dirty or separate from our part, our walk with God. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much that you just said there that is so counterintuitive, even for us as believers, I think, because it is ingrained that Gnostic view of like, my body is bad. My soul is good. Let's separate the two and never the two shall meet. You know, it's surprising almost how much that has continued even in Christian culture, honestly. And certainly in, in the secular world, like we, we see that dichotomy and that separation, almost like that whatever I do to or with my body doesn't affect me. You know, yes. that's why there is a hookup culture and why, exactly. you know, yeah, you, it has nothing to do with your emotions. You can just find someone to hook up with and it doesn't have any bearing or any weight on your soul. And you don't, you're supposed to not be affected and all of those things, which we know is not true. And that, that right. is not how it actually works. But yeah, I think that we do struggle to unite the two. And I, I don't know how have you really kind of untied some of those knots in your own mind and in your inside your own marriage, because I think that there's probably so many places that I don't even realize that I might be kind of tending towards that kind of a view of body and soul being separate. Yeah. Well, I think it's taken a lot of time in God's presence, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's something you can paste onto the outside and being like, oh, this is a new, a new group I'm joining or a new trend I'm following. It's some, it's a heart work. Yeah. And it takes time to meet with God in a way that we can be honest enough with where we really are with how we feel about our bodies or where we really honestly are with how we feel about sex and be in that place with God honestly and then allow him to reveal truth. And as we see the truth up against what we're really feeling, we're like, oh, I want the truth. And we give him the lies and the pain and the wounds. And then he makes this great exchange. And I, and I just call it making the trade. And that's the work of healing that happens in our hearts is we constantly making a trade. So when I have put before my eyes what is true, which is God's design, he called it good. He called my body good. He called marriage good. He called sex good. It's, it's directly connected to the work that he has called me to do in my marriage and through my marriage that I call the ripple effect of sex. Like it's all connected. What happens in the secret place actually does have a bearing on the public place. Mm -hmm. That's multifaceted. But I think when I find that something comes up in me that I'm like recognizing as yucky, it kind of repulses me or I feel this dissonance, that's a red flag. Go to God with that. Or if you have a counselor, I really encourage counseling. We have benefited deeply from it. Go to your counselor, say, I need to process through something with this because I want to believe God's truth, but I'm feeling this. And a lot of times the root systems are just so deep. They take some work to process through. I think the other thing though, is stepping out in faith and saying, if God said my body's good, I'm going to start having sex with the lights on and being okay with the fact that my body's good and I've had a bunch of babies and I might have stretch marks or I might have rolls here and there, but it's okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to even telling my husband, I think one of the ways I've gotten a little bit more free is to tell him, Hey, I want to believe that you love my body. And I want to believe that my body is beautiful to you and that I don't have to be ashamed of it or hide it. 
can you remind me how much you admire and love my body? Cause I, I think you think that way. And he's like, yeah, of course. So I know, but I don't quite believe that. So could you right. continue to tell me the truth? And I think even letting your husband in on your process, not to, you know, unload like all these insecurities all the time, because I think we need to process that out with God in a healthy way. But when we can invite our husband in to the healing journey and say, this is how you could help me in my healing journey. I think that is a gift too. Mm, yeah. Man, that's so hard to say though. I mean, was that hard for you the first time you said that? I'm sure you've gotten more comfortable having those conversations, but that that could be a very uncomfortable conversation to have for the first time. Yeah. I mean, I think it can come from like all of these conversations can be like, Hey babe, I really want more for our marriage. I want to be Mm -hmm. so connected to you. I really want God's best for us. And I heard this podcast and they were talking about this and it sounds kind of crazy, but it really struck me that I don't like my body. You know, you can like blame Mm -hmm. me for it, but (laughs) using it as like, an on-ramp of starting the conversation. It can be awkward, but I think, and never, I think I'll always, I preface, I tell women, you know, when you're talking to your husband, never put any pressure on him to do anything, but just like, this is my journey. This is what I want for our marriage. And this is where I am. Will you help Mm -hmm. me in this? I think our husbands really respond well to that generally. Yeah. If there is trauma or if this brings up like incredible pain, this is a red flag that this is a save for later podcast. This is a podcast for women who are in a place where none of us are perfect, none of us have it together. But when you're in a season where you're feeling healthy and clear enough to say, I want to take the next steps in my marriage towards thriving, Mm -hmm. and you and your husband are generally in that same direction, this is a great place for you in this conversation. If If you're not in that place, definitely listen and take notes for the future or just hit pause and reach out and get help because I never want anything that I say to cause deeper pain. But I really, mm-hmm. I've actually struggled through with that a little bit. I'm like, I don't want to talk about this because what if someone and you're really hurting? And, yeah. and my husband has encouraged me. He's like, Francie, even if somebody's hurting, this is God's word. This is God's yes. truth mm-hmm. and God's goodness. And people can believe for it in say some moms I've talked to are single moms and they can know what they're looking for in the next season of Mm -hmm. remarriage, if they get married, or if they're in a really hard place, they can know what they're going to their counselor to seek. I want wholeness. I want healing. I want God's best. Yeah. So there is always more with God. I think that's my word of hope. And all of us are on a journey. And when you hear this, if it really causes pain, I do think that that's an invitation from God to get healing, to find Mm -hmm. somebody who can care for your heart because it's never to be, this stuff is never to be taken and then applied with an unhealthy spouse who is abusive or mean or manipulative. Um, This is not to be taken in that way for sure. Right. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. I I should have said that at the beginning, but that covers our bases and helps just kind of set the stage for where these conversations can take place in generally healthy marriages. So what practical advice do you have to kind of help women who do feel like, yeah, I'm there. I would like it to be better. Maybe it's not terrible or maybe it is terrible. I don't know. But I believe that what you're saying is possible, but how do I facilitate that oneness and like be a part of the solution there? Yeah. I think the way I like to see it is that the goal is not sex. The goal is connection and oneness because I think what I, sometimes I get dubbed like the sex talk lady, but really I'm like a great commission lady. And I think when we get married, there's a direct mission attached to it. And I referenced that from Genesis one, where God blessed the first married couple and said, from this place of oneness, physical oneness, 
he was referring to like, come on, be together, be one together, reproduce. But from this place, take up the space that God's given you on the earth, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and take dominion. And when I see that, I trace that through scripture and I see the call to be fruitful and multiply all throughout the Old Testament. And I see it all throughout Jesus's language of abide in me, bear much fruit. So it's this very spiritual, it's not just have babies, but it is this idea that we were made to be abundantly fruitful in the context of our families, because that's our first mission field. As married women, we are called to be fruitful in our marriage and that's fruitful in the works of God. Mm -hmm. And so what happens, I think is I can be like, oh, it's all about sex, but really it's about oneness of heart, oneness of mind, and oneness of body. Sex has been relegated to this area of like kind of awkwardness that we don't talk about. And so I do talk about it, but it is such a powerful gift when we see that the oneness for my marriage actually impacts and ripples out to my children, to my career, to my church, to my community, and ultimately to our call to be lights in our culture, in the world. But if you follow that way back in, I, I went way out in the ripples, but if you follow it way back into your home life and into your bedroom life, what is at the core of the power that causes the ripples is unity and oneness. And there's no more unifying thing that you can do in your marriage than seek God together and have sex. Because mm -hmm. sex is the gift that is only for you and your husband. You can pray with other people in your small group or your church or your ministry team. You can do mission work with other people, but you can only have sex with your husband. And I think there's something very powerful about that when we talk about the fact that our bodies are connected to our spirits. When we glue ourselves together, there's not only the act of sex, there's all sorts of hormones that are very bonding, that are God-designed, that actually bond you emotionally and actually draw you together mentally and spiritually. And it's like this amazing combination, a hormonal cocktail that God created to flow through your body after you have sex. And so this sex is like glue that holds you together, but it also builds a bond and it builds a connection and it builds intimacy that kind of becomes explosive in terms of capacity to serve and love from a place of oneness. Mm -hmm. Psalm 133 talks about how beautiful it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It's like the oil flowing down Aaron's beard and like dew on the mountains. And that oil and that dew represents anointing, the power of God, and the dew represents fruitfulness. So unity, what follows unity is anointing and power. And when I think about there's no more unifying thing I can do than lean into my husband and have sex when we're in an argument, even when we're having conflict, when we're not seeing eye to eye, seeing sex as a gift to bring us together, to fight for our connection, to fight for our unity, because we are called to be fruitful, multiply and take dominion together. Hmm. I think sex has so long been about like how I feel or am I in the mood and it's kind of lust based and yes. it's kind of this like, am I feeling sexy? Am I hot or whatever? Is it his need? Is it her? Mm -hmm. it, and it, I don't actually think it's a man's need. I think it's a marriage's gift that leads to our fruitfulness and multiplication and dominion on the earth. I think it's the special treasure that God hid in a marriage. And most marriage books I even have read, they talk about it being a men's need. And I first approached it like that. Oh, it's a husband's need and I want to be a good wife. Mm -hmm. As I've walked this out, I've realized it is way more than that. Yeah. I find that after we have sex, I get ministry ideas. 
we have greater capacity of grace for each other in like stressful moments. We've walked through the hardest two years of our marriage and we have not felt sexy at all. We have not felt the energy for intimacy. It's not been a thing of, oh, I can't wait to get it on. It is, hey, babe, let's meet together and let's become one because we're not going to let the enemy tear us apart. It's almost like an act of warfare or an act of worship. It's a determination that we will be one under God, that Jesus cast the vision that marriage is about two becoming one. Mm -hmm. And so I think when I reframe it that way, and when I think about it's a priority for establishing connection and oneness It takes away some of the yuck that has held me back in the past. Like I'm not in the mood or I don't really feel like it. It is actually, we, we talk about it as more like, Hey, we choose connection. So we choose to have sex. And I think once you have a couple of kids and you've got work and all that, everybody's tired, but we make it a priority practically to often schedule sex. There's been seasons where we've scheduled it because we know that it's not so much the it's the getting there can be hard, but it's the reward afterwards of the connection and the unity that we're after. And so it's even more than the act. It's like, we want the oneness Mm -hmm. and this is a gift God gave us. And we're going to, we're going to thank him for it. We're going to honor him with it. And we're always just so grateful. So I think practically speaking, scheduling sex is one way to really make it happen and to make it a priority and know that this is a priority we're choosing. It's not just something that is like an add on if we're, you know, if we make it to the movie theater, fun, if not, no big deal. Right. This is something to be intentional about. Yeah, that's really good. I want to go back just for a second to something that you said that really, I think we need to just park on for a minute. And that's the idea of it being a man's need. Mm. I really hate that. Like I've hated that for a long time because I think actually what that is, although you're right, it is in a ton of Christian sex books or Mm -hmm. it's just been kind of the traditional teaching, like men are physical, you know, and we even learn this from a young age, like boys are more physical, girls are more emotional. Yeah. You know, like be that as it may, I think that that is true for some girls and boys and not true for others. I just think that that is actually a blatant lie of the enemy that sex is a man's need or that men just have this physical impulse. And yes, I know we're created differently. So I'm not trying to minimize that we are, you know, different, but equal in value, unique in our purpose and design. But I think that it's a total lie to say that sex is somehow just for the man, because then all that really serves to do is to make us as the women feel like us complying with sex is us somehow giving of ourselves, being used or, you know, whether willingly or unwillingly. And I think it's, it serves to separate and divide marriages. And so I think that's actually a tool of the, that the enemy has just so craftily created even around in biblical or in Christian circles, the idea that like, well, you know, your husband needs this. So just Anyways, I just think that, I think you're right. It's, it's a gift for marriage. It is not a gift just for men. Like that will not serve you well. If that's how you think of sex and if that is how you are approaching it, I think you will feel resentful. A lot of the times you will feel begrudging. You will feel like I don't owe you anything. Like I just was with the kids all day and I just cooked dinner and I just cleaned up and I'm tired and I haven't even showered today. And like, why would, you know, you don't get to demand things of me or, you know, I think that's the place that we go to when we look at our husbands and think like, they're the ones that need sex and we just kind of need to be there to comply. Like, I think that that's just not only a gross misunderstanding of God's intent and purpose and design for sex, 
but it's really minimizing it and really turning it into, like you said, a feelings and a lust-based thing instead of seeing that like, no, that's what the world has made it be. And that's not what God designed it to be. And that's not how he instructs us to use it inside of marriage. So I just think that that is something worth really examining, do you think of it that way? You know, yeah. um, it, have, do you kind of, is your perspective one of, I have to comply or almost like, how do I will myself into wanting this? Cause I don't, you know? And, and I also think that that's maybe a false narrative too, because there are certainly lots of women that are way more sexually driven than their husbands. So let's okay. just like not single anybody out there because I think that that's, completely normal and fine too. And and the thing that's freeing is that you're totally. not talking about our feelings. You're not talking about right. who's more sexually driven or inclined. You're talking about something that is a right. gift and something that we have to steward inside of our marriages, regardless of how we feel. Right. Yeah. So that changes everything. Yeah. And I think when it's only a man's need, often women are under aware of their bodies when it's all about a man's need. I do follow a girl named Sheila Gregoire. She's pretty great. Her website is called To Love, Honor, and Vacuum. It's kind of a silly name, but she uh, it sticks with you. But she has a ton of resources, things that I'm too embarrassed to even write about on the internet. She <laughs> writes about it. And so I'm like, I'll take the theological side and you take the practical side. But she writes about a lot of great things, including women's sex drives and even understanding their bodies and the gift of their clitoris or their libido. And mm-hmm. when women are so conditioned to see it as a man's need, it's less likely that they will even understand their own sexuality and be able to enjoy it because they've been so conditioned to think that, oh, I'm serving my husband by doing this. And they're kind of like shut down sexually because it's not, I'm I'm giving this big biblical theological perspective, but it's also supposed to be amazing and joyful and Mm -hmm. fun and life-giving for both people. And also a way that both people can serve each other. Like there are seasons where my sex drive has been higher and there's seasons where his has been higher. And it's not about either one of that. It's about honoring each other and loving each other Mm -hmm. and connecting and valuing the unity and connection um, in every season. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Thanks for letting me. Yeah. Thanks for pausing there for sure. Yeah. I just think that's still very not talked about. And so I think that's, that's just a lie. So don't, don't believe that. And really, like you said, seek God's heart and finding the truth there, not the worldly wisdom or your neighbor's advice or, you know, just the things that we've maybe we've been told or we've heard throughout our lives that have kind of been so ingrained that we just kind of believe them all to be true. Another thing that like this ties into that, I mean, even from your church's pulpit, the example, I mean, this is just reality. I noticed that, you know, even in my own church, a lot of times when they're giving the examples of like sins that, you know, you would hide from God, it's always a man with pornography on his phone. Like, well, women watch pornography too. Like <laughs> I'm, it's not helpful to mm-hmm. segregate that and make it just a gendered sin. Cause all sin is not gendered, you know, like all sin, regardless of how it works itself out, is separating us from God. So I think there's just like this still, there's still that narrative that kind of like men are the only ones who struggle with sexual sin or sexual issues because men are sexual and women aren't. And I just think that does not serve us well. Yeah, so totally, totally. It's good. All right. I remember you talking a little bit on the practical side, but like, how do you actually make that work on a Tuesday or on a Thursday, yeah. you know, after a long day and you're trying to get yourself into a mindset of, you know, being a servant and wanting and fighting for connection, 
Is there any practical tips that you would have for women? Yeah, I would say, I mean, one thing I'm, I really like remembering is just in general, lean in, constantly lean in, even on the days you're tempted to lean out, like it's easier to just go to sleep or say I have a headache or wet a little tiff. Let's just, I want to lean out and self-protect. Leaning in is always the answer in a healthy marriage, even when like things are a little rough, lean in. And I think for us, leaning into each other constantly means making room for more connection. We have established this thing called date night every night. And I don't know if you've heard on other podcasts, but I say it because it's actually been really true. My daughter is now 10 and we started it when she was born. So we've been doing date night every night ish um, for 10 years. And I say ish just because life happens, but it's from eight to nine. We say, this is mommy, daddy time and our kids know it. And we've been with our kids, you know, all day and we've had dinner and everybody's kind of getting settled and doing their thing. And it's looked different in different seasons with their ages. But generally speaking, we carve out space every night to connect and it's been such a gift because we realized before that they, we were really getting into the roommate rut of just high-fiving and doing the baby thing. And, and we never really protected that time. And that has been such a gift. Some nights it looks like we put the little babies in the stroller and we walk while the other kids clean the kitchen. And then by the time we get home, it's ready to like wind down. And some nights it looks like sitting on the porch. Many nights it looks like kind of coming into our room and locking the door, mm-hmm. taking a bath, or it could look like sex is happening. It could look like just conversations happening, but making sure we protect time together has been huge. We definitely have had seasons of scheduling sex when we've known it's just getting busy and hectic and we want to make it a priority. And just like we would schedule soccer practice or violin lesson, we want to schedule the things that matter to us. It might sound like unsexy, but it's actually quite powerful to say, this is what we want. We want to sow into our marriage. We want to sow good seeds so we will reap a good harvest. That means do the stuff. Mm-hmm. Practically, sometimes I call it EMS. Sometimes early morning sex is a gift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Before the people are awake, it can be a quickie, but it really starts your day off in such a sweet tone. And you know, you're starting your day connected, even if like night times are tiring and it's too much for you to connect at bedtime because everybody's mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah, Early morning sex sometimes can be a real gift. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I talk about is kind of switching gears, giving yourself space and grace to say, Hey, I need a minute. I really want to be with you. I need a minute to switch gears though. Do you mind if I head to the bathroom and freshen up? And that's like your code word for, okay, take a deep breath, maybe Mm -hmm. do some stretching, maybe just quick shower or put a little makeup on or switch into something more cozy or comfortable or cute or sexy or whatever works for you. And remind yourself that I choose connection. I want connection. I could get my bed and go right to sleep, but I really want to lean in and I Mm -hmm. want that connection more than I want to zone out on my phone. And just reminding yourself of what you want. Um, I think the final thing is really caring for your body. No matter what size you are or what season you're in, knowing that if you drink water and if you eat well, you feel better about yourself and you feel more energetic. And that is directly related to just stewarding our bodies well and feeling great as a human being. But I know when I've been exercising and just even moving my body and drinking water, I'm more likely to want to share my body. Other times I feel yucky and I'm like not feeling it. And I realize I don't know that I've cared for myself very well. So I think it's just all connected, but those are some practical, practical ideas for the moment. Yeah, that's really good. Okay, I do have a practical question for you that I I was left wondering after Heather's podcast, which I will link that for everyone in the show notes. So you can definitely go listen to that one too, because, you know, each interview is a little bit different. You know, the host focuses on different things. So those ones would be great to listen to as well. But I was left wondering, 
does sex have to result in an orgasm every time for it to be effective at connection? Absolutely not. Okay. I think orgasms are great and they are super beneficial. I don't see orgasm as the definition of connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I see didn't orgasm think so, a, but no, yeah. I see orgasm as a gift and definitely something to enjoy and to explore and to learn about, take advantage of like God made your body for that. Actually, your body has the clitoris, which has no other purpose than pleasure. And mm-hmm. there are lots of ways to discover that. And so you can just have full permission knowing that God made you for pleasure. There are days though, where I just am like done, but mm-hmm. I want to be open to my husband and I want to connect. Mm-hmm. And I think what I see it as is you don't necessarily get the fireworks of connection every single time, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like, you don't get that great feeling every single time you work out, but you know, it adds up over time and you are making the right choice by getting up every day and moving your body or whatever your workout goals are. It may not feel great every time, Mm -hmm. but you're like, I am reaching my goal of health. And with sex, every time we have sex, I never regret it. It's never a thing of like, oh, I wish I didn't do that. It may not have been the highest mountain peak of sexual, you know, experience every time, but every time it's a sweet gift because we are gluing our bodies together Mm -hmm. and you get the benefit of oxytocin throughout your body, even if you don't have an orgasm because oxytocin is released through skin to skin contact. Mm -hmm. And that's the the same one. That's the same, like the breastfeeding hormone, right? Exactly. It's the skin to skin. So it bonds, Mm -hmm. it's the bonding. And so you get benefits and it's, it's just a good gift. And I think we just have come to see it as such a, an integral part of our connection and a gift that there are days where it's like, lights out crazy good. And then there's days we're like, Oh, okay. On to the next thing. But we are constantly investing in our marriage because we want the benefit of intimacy and deepening in every season. So yeah, that's well, a great question though. Nobody's yeah, ever asked me that. I wondered that. And well, I think, didn't you, in your first year of marriage that you had sex every single day? Yeah, that was the first year. That was the first year. Mm -hmm. So that's why I was like, is that even physically possible? I don't even know. That just sounds very, like that would be hard on your body. But I guess maybe you develop a resilience. Well, yeah, I would say it wasn't like, (laughs) I guess it wasn't that difficult. I mean, there was definitely things we were working through, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't like big, long sessions every day. There was, you know, some quickies, some (laughs) long sessions, but it was definitely a an intimate touch point every day Yeah, that I think helped rewire our belief about sex. Cause it was like, we were praying and leaning in for breakthrough and healing. And then we were going to kind of like cement it yeah. <laughs> in intimacy physically as well yeah. as spiritually. Well, that's, that's good. That's helpful. And I think just not that you shouldn't fight for that or work for that if you can, but just to take a little bit of the pressure off that every single time it has to look like everybody has an orgasm, you know? I mean, totally. Yeah. Just taking a little bit of the pressure off, I think from people can be helpful. And then, you know, even like just from personal experience, I think when there's less pressure, it actually is easier to have a good time, you know, when you're not making it like all or nothing, like that's totally not always the most conducive to connection. Sometimes like our husbands might feel like, oh, if I didn't, if she didn't climax, maybe I'm not very good at what I'm doing. And I think even just communicating, hey, tonight, I want to be a gift to you. I want to just see you 
thrilled tonight, you know, and just make it about him. If you know, you are just not, your body is not there. There's nights where I'm like, my body feels like it's completely asleep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like there's nothing happening yeah. here and yeah. that's fine. And even just explaining to your husband, Hey, there are times where I am like roaring to roaring to go. I'm just ready. And there's other times where I'm just, it's not you. It's just, my body is like, maybe it's the time of the month or something. I don't know. I'm not there, but I want you. And being with you makes me so satisfied. And I think just constantly affirming that desire that it's not about performance. It's about connection. Yeah, that's good. Any other final words of advice or wisdom for listeners today on sex within marriage? Hmm. Yeah. Other than just continuing to lean in, find a counselor if you need it, mm-hmm. <laughs> know that there is healing. God has abundance for your home and he wants to continue to show himself to be good and present and available to you in your marriage. And I just want to impart hope for women to see their homes as a place that can become a thin place. There's a Celtic tradition that's called, talks about the thin place of heaven and earth overlapping and intersecting. Mm-hmm. And I believe because Jesus came and brought the kingdom, he inaugurated the kingdom, we can have that sense that there's a piece of heaven in our midst. And it's that shalom where God is in our midst. He's near us. He's working in us and through us. And there's a rightness about life. It doesn't mean a perfection about life. It doesn't mean an ease about life, but there's a deep rightness and a deep rest because God is in our midst. And I believe that's what he wants for our bedrooms and our marriages and our sex lives. The sense of God is at work here. And that doesn't mean that it like comes overnight or is everything, everything is perfect. It means that we're surrendered and inviting him in. And I think that's the main thing is God, I surrender this to you. I open up my misconceptions to you and ask you to heal me. I open up my wounds and my baggage and I want to make a trade with you. I want the beauty that you have and I want to give you my ashes. And in places my husband has struggled or stumbled or I've struggled and stumbled, it's painful. Would you come and redeem us and heal us? And even just pray for resources to help in that healing process. I know that there's so many people who have been very public with their struggles with about pornography or homosexuality or Mm -hmm. different areas of brokenness where we can find hope and test testimony and resources in our healing journey. People are more and more open about their journeys and that's a gift. So yeah, I think I would just encourage women to believe God for more in their home because he designed them to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and take dominion with his spirit in them in conjunction with their husband and their family to be a a city on a hill and a lighthouse. So that's my encouragement. I'd love to leave with you today. Man, thank you so much. Thanks for sharing your story and your wisdom and in this area that you have obviously really dived, I don't know how to say that, uh, really deep into and seen so much growth in your own marriage and life. I think it's really encouraging and it just kind of brings it down to a a real level for those of us listening who maybe haven't gone through all of that hard work yet, but to see just how we might enter into that pursuit and kind of continue, regardless of what that's looked like in our marriage in the past, that that is possible and that that is God's design and that that's something worth fighting for. So mm-hmm. really appreciate you sharing today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's all I have for today, friends. Thank you so much for listening in. Be sure and come find me on Instagram at hayleywilliams.kindled and leave me a review on iTunes if you have not done that. That always helps new people find the show. You wouldn't believe how many messages I get from people who found the show just because it was recommended to them in their podcast app. That is thanks to people like you who leave reviews. So thank you if you've already done that. And if not, go over there and do that. It only takes a couple minutes 
to um, leave a star rating and a review in the iTunes podcast app. All right, guys, have a great week. I'll see you next Monday.